today I'm going to teach you how to pray what I call the impossible prayer. Impossible praying is different from, you could call it possible praying or normal praying. Normal praying goes something like this, God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to help me with my resources. God, I need you to help me with, my, with wisdom. God, I need you to help me with strength. You know, folks, you and I pray normal prayers all the time, and there is nothing wrong with normal prayers. But, per, but impossible prayers are different. Possible prayers are when you and I are in a crisis that is out of our control. It is when everything is going in the wrong direction and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. It is outside of our scope. It is unknowable and it is uncontrollable. Now, what I'm going to teach you today, folks, I've been practicing for quite some time in my Christian walk with Jesus. One of the elements of it, of the impossible prayer, is actually thanking God in advance. Now, let me explain this. Let's just say this past Christmas, I called you up and I said, hey, today's your lucky day. I am going to pay for your mortgage for the next 12 months, and the check is in the mail. You haven't received it yet, but the check is in the mail. When you hear that, when are you going to thank me? Are you going to thank me after you receive the check? Now, don't answer that because I know some of you would say yes, okay? Or would you thank me at that moment? Your thinking might go something like this. You know, I think Pastor George is a pretty cool guy. He's a pretty honest guy. He's, you know, he's a person of integrity. I'm going to thank him now. Though I haven't received. Well, thank you, Pastor George. Folks, that would be our normal response. This is what God wants you and I to do in prayer. One of the five aspects of an impossible prayer is actually thanking God in advance. Now, why do I say this? Because Jesus taught, while he was on earth in his ministry, this principle. Take a look at Mark eleven twenty four. Anytime you ask for anything in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you will receive it. Notice the change of tense. Believe that you have received it, past tense, and you will receive it, future tense. Let me emphasize, and will you circle the word have? Anytime you ask for anything in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you will receive it. Wait a minute, Pastor George. Do you mean I have to believe that I've got it in order to get it? Yeah, that's called faith. Do do you mean I have to believe that it's so, even though it isn't so, so that it can become so? Absolutely, that's called faith. Folks, this is the difference between gratitude and, 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 and faith. Will you write this down? Thanking God after you've received something is called gratitude. Thanking God before you receive it is called faith. And in, in an impossible situation, what you need is faith. You just don't need gratitude. You need faith, and you need this attitude all the time while you are waiting on God to answer that prayer. And I would have us know that that is not begging. Oh God, please come through this. Oh God, please, 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 with sugar. Oh God, I'll put a cherry with whipped cream. Oh God, please. No. It is having an attitude of thanksgiving 
for what God has promised that he is going to give in his timing. That is faith. Abraham did this. God came to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And do you want to know how long it took, uh, how long he thanked God for that promise? 25 years. Folks, that's a long time to thank God for something that hadn't been received yet. Abraham was 100 years old and and Sarah was 90 years old. Folks, it was an impossible situation. And so it was an outright miracle. When I started Life Point Church for seven years, I thanked God for the land that he was going to give us before he gave it to us. And when I did that, I wasn't begging God, oh God, give us land. Oh please God, oh God, give us land, give us land, God, give us land. No, in year one, I asked God for land. And in the next seven years, I thanked him for the land that he was going to give us. And do you know what road I was on at that time? McDermott. It ended at Custer and McDermott was on the east side. And I was just praying, okay, God, somewhere in this place, unbelievable. It's not begging God for something. It's thanking him for what he has promised that he is going to get. Now, the best example of this is in a story that we looked at last week out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 with King Jehoshaphat. This story is so good, it's worth going back a second time. It's kind of like food, right? When you have good pot roast, you just don't get one helping. You go back for more helpings, right? With extra mashed potatoes and gravy. That's kind of this story. And if you remember, this story is about King Jehoshaphat. And he is surrounded by three kings. And he knows he's going to get creamed. It is three against one. And so what he does is he prays a prayer. And last week, we took a look at the first five verses. Today, we're going to take a look At the prayer, I'm going to teach you how to pray an impossible prayer. Now, I don't know where you need God to show up at. Some of you may need God to show up in your marriage or with your finances or with one of your kids or in a job situation. I can just say this. If you don't don't pray, guess what? It ain't going to happen. Whatever is not, or whatever is out of your control, this is the prayer that you need to pray. Now let's review these first five verses. After this, three enemy nations united to attack King Jehoshaphat. Spies told him, a huge combined army is marching to Jerusalem right now to defeat you. Scared and worried, King Jehoshaphat resolved to seek the Lord, and he announced a nationwide fast. So everyone came together to fast and pray and seek help from God. When they all got to the temple in Jerusalem, the king stood up and prayed aloud. We'll get into the prayer. But King Jehoshaphat did some things right here initially. He he first prayed privately. It says that he resolved to seek the Lord. Here this crisis situation, which would alarm anybody, he alarm anybody, but what he did was that he turned worry into worship. He started to seek God first, and that ought to be a learning point for us. Prayer ought to be our first resort and not our first choice and not our last resort, but far too often it is. Someone comes along in the, this impossible situation and they say, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Oh my God, is that what it's come to? 
It shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first choice. And this is what King Jehoshaphat did. He, he turned his worry into worship. He sought the Lord. He prayed. Secondly, he enlists the entire nation. Now, why is that important? Because there is power in group prayer. Last week, folks, I've never gotten so many emails and phone calls and people coming to the church. George, this praying thing and seeking God through, through, through fasting, it rocks. I've had a number of people say, George, I've never done this before. This is, this is really good. George, I've never done this. I'm fasting the whole week. You're not asking me to do that, are you? It rocks. Isn't it cool to think that everybody in this church is praying for everybody in this church? Isn't that cool? We're praying church. Praying not just for ourselves, praying for our community, and then praying for ourselves last. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, what? How in the world is that going to help me? Praying for other people. Oh, that's easy. It's because when you take up someone else's cause, guess who takes up your cause? God does. And God knows how to answer prayer. Job did this. You read the book of Job. This is awesome. I know Job's a hard, tough book to read. But you read the book of Job. And he had a crisis, a personal crisis that was out of his control. But when you get to the end of Job... It says that Job prayed for his friends. And what did God do afterwards? Restored his fortunes. You see, there is a strategy of what I'm trying to teach you here. we got to pray for others out there first. And then into the church and then in ourselves. I want you to have personal renewal. And personal renewal happens when you and I get our minds off of ourselves. And we start interceding for other people for the community, for people in our church, and yes, for ourselves last. Job did this, and God restored his fortune. Now, I want to take a look at this prayer. And there are five components to Jehoshaphat's prayer. And the first is this, is that you start by focusing on God and not your problem. When you and I are in an uncontrollable crisis, it is natural to start saying, God, I'm in this crisis. As if God doesn't know about it. Folks, God knows. God knows that you need a job. God knows that you need resources. God knows about that family crisis. You start by focusing on God and doing what King Jehoshaphat did. In the first part of his prayer, he did Four things, four things that you and I need to do. We need to, number one, remind ourselves of God's greatness. He first comes to God and he acknowledges who God is. And you need to do the same. God, you are a great God. You are an awesome God. You are a loving God. You are a, a faithful God. You are a, a, the God of the impossible. Take a look at verse 6. Oh Lord, are you not the God who is in heaven? I mean, you rule over every kingdom and nation. You are so powerful and mighty that nothing and no one can defeat you. I focus on God's greatness. Secondly, I remind myself of his unlimited power. When I remind myself of God's unlimited power, what happens is I begin to build trust. And this is what King Jehoshaphat did. God, I remember when you did all these miracles. And you do the same. God, I remember, because God's done miracles in your life, folks. 
We just don't remember them. Hope is restored when you and I begin to remember. You can check that out in November when we did that series on that. We remember. remember, God, I remember when you did all these miracles. Take a look at verse 7. And God, and God, did you not drive out those who tried to keep us from living here when you brought us back home? He's talking about the exodus. He's saying, God, I remember when you gave Abraham the land. God, I remember when you, when you defeated the Egyptians. God, I remember when we got to the edge of the promised land and you routed out the inhabitants that were in the land so that we could possess it. And so you remember God's greatness and you remember his power. And then thirdly, you remind God, not yourself, you remind God of his promises. This is extremely important. God, didn't you promise to help? God, didn't you promise to meet our needs? God, didn't you promise to care for us? There are over 7,000 promises in God's word. And if you're on the text thing, you're getting one, one a day, at least for five days a week. Take a look at what King Jehoshaphat did in 7b. And also, did you not give this promised land to your friend Abraham's descendants to, to, to be theirs forever? Folks, God loves to be reminded of his promises. I, I think of my grandkids. I think this was like November before the, the following November I took my grandkids to Disney World. But for about a year before that, we're going to Disneyland. Grandpa? Oh, yeah, and your grandma too. It's going to take you to Disneyland. It's walking out after Thanksgiving. My grandkids said, Grandpa, when are you going to take us to Disneyland or Disney World? You promised. What do you think that did to my heart? You bunch of little jerks. Don't you trust me? (laughs) No, that just warmed my heart. God loves to be reminded of the promises he has made. And then fourth thing that he finally says to God, and this is just the first part of the prayer, is that he asks God to do the impossible. Take a look at verse 10 through 12. Our enemies want to destroy us. Will you not stop them from defeating us? Notice how specific he is. Here's the impossible thing, God, I want you to do. Do you know the impossible thing that you're asking God for right now? Do you know it? If you don't, How can God answer it? God wants you and I to clarify what we are asking him for. You don't want to ask God in a general way, oh God, just bless my life right now. Do you understand that blessings are trials? Is that really what you want? I don't think so. When you're facing an impossible situation, oh, I just want more trials. No, you got to be specific. God, I need, I need to get out of debt. God, I need healing. God, I need healing in my marriage. I need a job, God. You get specific so that you know when God has answered it. Now, this is just all in the first part of this prayer. The second component of this prayer is is this. You tell God, I can't do this. I need you to do this. See, this is what makes the difference between an impossible prayer, as I call it, and a possible prayer or a normal prayer. When you and I say, God, I need your help. Give me strength. 
give me wisdom, give me resources. You're saying you still think you can do it. But in an impossible prayer, you can't do it. God, I can't possibly do this. It's beyond me. It is out of my control. It is unknowable. I need you to do this. Does that make sense? You come to God and you say, God, I'm powerless. I can't do this. Look at this. Verse 12. Lord, we are powerless against the mighty army that is coming to attack us. And we don't know what to do. But we are looking to you to help. Folks, you and I need to do the exact same thing. You and I need to be coming to God and we need to be telling God how we're feeling. God, I, I'm powerless. I'm hopeless right now. I, I can't do this. This is beyond me. I want to ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you said to yourself, I don't have the slightest idea what to do. I don't have the foggiest idea what in the world is going on right now. You see, when you're in that situation, that, that is when you need to pray the impossible prayer. God, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what's going on. God, I don't need your help right now. I need you to do it. This is bigger than me. I can't do this. And so God, guess what? You're it. Now, he says that he's powerless, but it's interesting. Six verses earlier, he says and acknowledges God in worship. God, you are the God of all power. Now, I want you to think about this. Folks, you and I don't need personal power if we are connected to God, the all-powerful God. You and I don't need wisdom when we are connected to the all-knowing God. You and I don't need resources when we are connected to the God of all resources. When you don't know where to go and what to do, because you can't be everywhere and do everything and be everything for everybody, that is when you need to be connected to the omniscient one to the omnipotent one, to the omnipotent one. Because he has what you and I don't have. You see, what do you do when you are inadequate? Well, this story tells us you wait and you trust. You see, sometimes you wait, sometimes faith is just waiting and trusting. It's doing nothing. Squat, not a thing. It is being silent and knowing that God is God. As Hebrews says, it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Take a look at verse 13. Then all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, waiting with their wives and young children and even babies. These guys stood, not five minutes, they stood for hours. And what are they doing as they're standing there? They're saying, God, we're looking to you. This is bigger than us. We're at the end of our rope. 
but we're hanging on to you. And who are these guys doing this with? Their families. Here's my challenge. You want to reach the next generation? You want to see your kids have a greater possibility of really following the Lord? Don't shelter them from the impossible things. Include them in. Talk with them about the impossible prayers that you're praying. But tell them. Tell them what they are. I don't care if they're young or old. I've done it with my young kids. I've done it with my kids who are out of the house and have my grandkids. We face impossible situations. We're coming together as a family. I'm reaching my kids and I'm reaching my grandkids as we do this. And we can do this, but we got to do it God's way. And you come and say, this is the impossible prayer that I am praying right now. But we're going to wait and we're going to watch and trust in God because he is the difference maker. Does that make sense? Now there is a third part. And it's this, you listen to what God says. After you've focused on God, after you've told God you can't do it, you listen to what God says. Because prayer is a conversation. It's not a monologue. It involves two people. And in order to build a relationship, and we'll talk more about relationship of prayer in the weeks to follow, but to build a relationship, you must have two-way conversation, not one. And so prayer isn't just you talking to God. It's you also listening to what God has to say. We have an upper room that I'm hoping to change into a quiet place for our church. I used to office up there. I loved that place. You want to know why? No one knew I was in the building. Yes. And it was quiet. We need quiet. Because we need to listen to what God has to say. So how does God talk to us? Well, he talks to us through his word. Everything that God would want to say to you, really, he has spoken to you through his word. So I say this, we need to stop looking for a sign. And we got to start looking at the scriptures. Because God's will is found in God's word. And the more you and I are in God's word, the more we will understand God's will for our life. Now take a look at, and, uh, at what Jehoshaphat and these people are doing in this uncontrollable situation. Notice how God responds to him. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You won't need to fight in this battle. Just take up your position and stand strong. Then just wait and watch and you will see the Lord deliver you. Again, do not be afraid or get discouraged because the Lord is with you. Then the, then the king and everyone else all bowed down on the ground and worshiped God. Can you imagine this scene? The entire nation is getting on their knees on the ground and they are worshiping God. Before anything has even happened, they hear the news that God is with them. And they fall on their knees and they worship when you and I start praying like King Jehoshaphat and these people, guess what? You're going to hear God say to you the very same things that he said to them. He's going to say to you these four things. Number one, relax. Notice that he says, don't be afraid or discouraged because this of this vast army. In other words, God's going to say to you, just chill out. 
Secondly, he's going to say to you, it's my battle. I'm fighting it. Notice it says, the battle is not yours, but God's. Folks, you want to know why we are so fatigued and frustrated? It's because we're fighting battles that God never intended us to fight. We're playing God. I I can do this. (laughs) We're kind of praying that normal prayer, okay? I can do this. I can do this. And so as a result, we're fatigued and we're frustrated because we're assuming a role that God never intended us to, to assume. You see, God says, this battle is mine. But we like to say, oh, I can work this out myself. I'll I'll take the bull by the horns. And then after we have, and we've created this mess, we come back to God and we say, God, I'm sorry for creating this mess. I know I let you down. And then God responds, you didn't let me down because you were never holding me up. You see, You and I don't hold God up. He holds us up. He holds us in his hands. Jesus said in John 10 that Jesus had us in his hands. And then the Father has Jesus' hands in us. I mean, it's double. It's like the Allstate commercial. We've got double coverage, you know. It's really cool. You see, whatever you've got in your hands isn't your God. I guarantee you that. Because you can't control God. Whatever you've got in your pocket isn't your God. Whatever you hang around your neck isn't your God. Whatever you hold in your hands that you're seeking to control, I guarantee you this, it isn't your God. It's an idol. God says, I'm the one that's holding you up. And so God says, relax. It's my battle. Third thing he says is this. Keep serving in your position. Notice he says, just take up your position and stand strong. Here this enemy is coming in, and God doesn't say to them, okay, you can just go home, get in your easy chair, sit on your blessed assurance, eat potato chips, and watch TV. And he doesn't say, hey, break rank and charge at them. No, he says, get in your position and stand strong. Now, I want you to know something. It takes an enormous amount of faith to stand while the enemy is rushing in. We've seen maybe movies like this, right? And they're just standing at attention. It takes an enormous amount of faith. Now, I don't have time to teach this lesson, to teach this point. But let me say this. God has a place and a position for every person in God's family. Meaning, God has a place and a position for you here at LifePoint Church. And it's easy when, the, when you're struggling with what appears to be an impossible thing to say, I'm going to abandon my position. No, don't do that. Stay where you're at. Serve. I'll never forget, four years into my marriage, my wife rolls over, and I am a deacon in a church. And she says, I want a divorce. And I thought about, okay, I'm chucking this thing, man. I got I to gotta do something different, okay? And I got the wisest counsel. George, stay where you're at right now. 
listen to your wife. It was really hard for me to do back then. A little easier now. Her voice sounds like God a lot of times. And continue to fulfill the calling that you have on your life. Both and George. We brought on a person in this church, a minister of ministry, Marty Martin. I call her M to the fourth power. And she is here to help you find your place where you can serve inside the church or outside the walls of the church. There's so much more I want to say. Anyway, the fourth thing is wait and watch what God does. He says, relax. It's my battle. Stand firm. Stay in that position, okay? Wait and watch what I'm going to do. Take a look at this. You won't need to fight in this battle. Stop right there. Let me give you a little trivia. That is the middle verse of the Old Testament. In the middle of the Old Testament, in the middle of this battle, God says this, my words. I got this. I got this. You don't need to fight this battle. Guess what? I got it. You don't need to become the general manager of the universe. I got it. I, I, you, you don't need to move. Stay where you're at. Stay in your position. I got this. Do you know what some Christians' problems are? They think that if they could just move away, if I could just go to Tahiti, all my problems would melt away. No, they won't. Because guess what? You'd still be there. You don't need to manipulate God. You don't need to help God. You don't need to move. Truly, many, many, many of our problems would be solved through an attitude of quiet confidence. Will you write this down? It is never God's will to run from a difficult situation. Never, never, never. I wanted to run four years into my marriage. It is never God's will to run from a difficult situation. If you and I run, oftentimes what we do is we fall into a bigger hole and we create a bigger mess. We need to sit still and know that God is God. God has never lost a battle in history. And if it is his battle, I guarantee you this, he will win it. Take a look at verse 20. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. I want you to know, as a staff, we pray for you. In fact, we fasted on the Wednesday before the fast. We fasted on, on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I brought all the staff together, and we brought those cards, and we encircled it, and we prayed for your success. We want you to be a, we want our church, you, to be a successful church. We want to see God prosper you and your families at your jobs across the board. And that can happen as you and I trust in the Lord. As we trust in his character. Hope is stop listening to your feelings. Start listening to God's word. Praying over the promises of God and falling on the character of God. What God has said, folks, you and I can take to the bank. 
He is a true God. He doesn't lie. And we'll get into, and that is reflected in his name. And we'll get into that after Easter. The fourth thing, the fourth step or component of an impossible prayer is this. Thank God in advance for the answers. Now, this answer is really wild. And I'm sure if General Patton had gotten the battle plan, okay, from from God like this, he would have thrown a conniption fit. What? Are you kidding me? Okay. But notice this right here. In verse 21, Then the king appointed musicians and singers in choir robes to march in front of the army and loudly praise and thank the Lord. This is what they sang. We thank God. His love never quits. That's pretty good, I thought, you know. They're, they're singing this. We thank God. His love never quits. His love is never ending. It would be like the king coming up to our band. Scott, Rob, Jenny, Wendy, uh, Joshua, Blake. I want you to lead the church out in this impossible situation, but you are inadequate. You need one other player, Pastor George. And I get out in front with the band like I love to do. Our God is an awesome God. And we lead out. That's all I'm going to play. Now, it would be wild, would it not, to see your enemy doing that. What in the world is going on? But remember, the victory hadn't come yet, and they've turned their worry into worship. Notice what happens here. In verse 22, at, that, at the moment they began to sing and to praise the Lord, or at the moment they began to sing and to praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir to begin fighting among themselves and they destroy each other. Is that not cool? They win the victory by giving thanks in advance. So here's my question. When are you going to start thanking God for the promises? Not just praying over them and not just fasting for them. When are you going to start thanking God for the promises he's given you that he's going to fulfill? When are you going to put the band out in front of you? When are you and I going to make worship a priority? Where we come and break lifestyle and come early and we praise God in his presence. Because worship isn't the warm-up thing, folks. Worship is what ignites the heart of God. The fifth component is this. It's found in verses 24 through 26. When the army of Judah finally arrived at the battleground, the valley was covered with dead bodies. For as far as they could see, no one had survived. So they went out to gather the plunder, and they found huge amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry back. In fact, there was so much loot, it took three days to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered for a worship service in that valley, which they named the Valley of Baraka, because the people had thanked and praised God 
there. The word baraka in Hebrew means blessing. God turned the valley of battles into the valley of blessings. And there are four huge ones that are seen here. The first one is that they had more loot that they could even handle. In other words, God blessed them in such a way that they couldn't even handle all the blessings. And you might raise the question, well, how do I know when God's answered my impossible prayer? You will know. (laughs) If you don't know, guess what? It's not happened yet. The second result is that your love for God will grow. They celebrated. They sang even more. They worshiped even more. Verse 27, every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. The third result is that unbelievers started to take notice. If you remember, I said, we're going to create, we're going to create a wave. We're going to restore our hope personally, and we're going to let it ripple out from life point into our community where other people were going to, are going to take notice. Take a look at this. Verse 29, and the, de- and, the dread, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. God was glorified, and it was for their good. And then the last one is peace and security. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like peace and security in your life? It happens as you and I renew our hope. We gotta stop listening to our feelings. We gotta start praying over the over God's word, or start listening to God's word, praying over the promises of God as we fall on the character of God. Because if God said it, we can take it to the bank. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. And we want to come into your presence right now with a moment of quiet confidence. And I don't know what or where you need God to come through for you, but I want to give you a moment to lift that up right now. God, I thank you that you're an awesome God and that you have given us access to come into the very, into your very presence. And we want to declare to you as we enter into your gates that you are a great God, that you are the God of the impossible. God, we admit that we are powerless, that many times we are hopeless that we don't have what it takes to figure things out. But God, through your spirit, remind us of the miracles of yesterday because we know you've done them. If nothing but our salvation, God, you broke through and you saved us. 
But God, we come to you because there, there are things that only you can do. We can't do them. And we give them to you. They're yours. Make a breakthrough as we worship, as we honor you. Take ground in our hearts. Help us to stand firm. Help us to see, God, you renewing us personally. In such a way, God, that people's lives around us notice that there's a difference. Our kids and our grandkids. I don't know where you're at this morning, but you need Jesus Christ in your life if you haven't said yes to him yet. Some of you may know about him up in your head, but have you dropped him to your heart? Do that now, will you? Just say, God, right now I admit I've been the general manager of the universe and it's not working out very well. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and resurrected from the grave. And right now, I'm giving you the reins of my life. It's yours. You do it. And if you prayed that quiet little prayer, <laughs> a short one, at that. Will you let me know? I'd love to get you some literature in your hands that will help you with your walk with God today. So God, we give you this. You're an awesome God. We praise you. In your son's name, amen.